0: You're listening to the podcast from Emmanuel Community Church. For more information,
1: go to emmanuelcc.co.uk.
0: The reading today is from Peter's first letter, 1 Peter, and the first twelve verses. In the Church But Read Bibles, it's page 1217. And I just pray before I read. Heavenly Father, we come to your word, it's a living word, and we pray that by your Holy Spirit, you will use and bless Jamie's preaching this morning and give us ears to hear and hearts to respond. For Jesus' sake, amen. So on Peter, verse one. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, exiles, scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold which perishes, even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him, and even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy, for you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you Sent from heaven, even angels long to look into these things.
1: Thank you, Anne. Well, I'm back again, and I'd like to draw your attention if you haven't done so already to First Peter. Uh, chapter 1, and we're going to be looking particularly at verses 3 uh, down to 9 of chapter 1. Okay, so a new series, and uh, I appreciate that for some of you here today, uh, you might even be new to this whole Bible talk, and some of these words and some of the analogies and language that has been used in is, is a little bit strange. Uh, so, we're going to take a, a fairly sort of um, introductory sort of Entry point into into First Peter. It's just a short series anyway. But today we're going to be looking at what it means to be born again, as Chris introduced to us earlier. So, who was this letter written by? Well, it was written by Peter. Uh, verse one, it says that he introduces the letter himself. Some people try and argue that, but it helps if he introduces himself and gives his name, doesn't it? Now, he's arguably one of the most well-known out of all the apostles. He is certainly named and mentioned more than any of the other apostles or saints in the New Testament. He was considered the spokesman uh, of the apostles or the lead apostle, if you like. Uh, whenever you see this list of all the disciples and the apostles, you always see his name on the top because he was considered, if you like, like the gang, the gang leader of this group of, of men. So you may or may not know that his name was originally Simon. Uh, But Jesus called him Peter, which means rock, or in Aramaic, it's Cephas. And those names are used sometimes together or interchangeably in the letter, or when referring to, uh, to Peter in the Gospel. So Peter, or Simon, or Cephas, or Simon Peter. So that's all talking about the same guy. So when you think of all the New Testament characters, and it's a common question, people say, who do you like most in the Bible or who do you you resonate most with in the Bible? For me, in the New Testament, I always think of, of Peter. Peter is someone that I can identify with Peter is someone uh, who, uh, from very early on in his ministry, so you read through the Gospels, Jesus comes to him. There was even some uh, commentators that said they probably knew each other because it was such a small community. But when Jesus came to him and said, drop your nets and follow me, Peter instantly dropped his nets. He was a fisherman by trade and he followed after this Jesus of Nazareth. But that's not the part that I resonate more uh, with For me, certainly growing up and becoming a young Christian, I resonate with the character of Peter during these formative years because Peter was someone, even though he really wanted to follow Jesus and did everything and laid everything down to follow him, Peter was someone that often just got it wrong. I mean, you read through the Gospels and you see Peter, what are you going on about? How can you say these things? And he's often someone that was rebuked by by the Lord. And I think in Peter, I resonate with the humanity of him that makes mistakes, that wants to do really well, wants to follow Jesus, but often falls short and messes it all up. So Peter was someone who Jesus also said to him, Peter, Jesus recognising who Peter was, Peter, the devil has asked that he may have you because he wants to sift you like wheat, Can you imagine someone saying that to you, let alone Jesus? So Jesus saying to Simon Peter, Simon Peter, the devil has asked for you and he wants to sift you like wheat. He wants to see what's inside of you. He wants to test your confession. He wants to test what's inside of you. To which Jesus goes on to say to him, and you will fall. Simon Peter, you will fall. You will fall and after you have Jesus says, I want you to come back, come back to me, come back to my people because I've given you a job and your job is to feed my sheep. Elsewhere he's or in another way, Jesus says, when you're restored, Simon Peter, when you're restored, I want you to do something for me. I want you to strengthen your brothers and sisters that are weak. And indeed, Peter did fall. He denied Jesus three times and he ran away in his hour of need until he was met and he was restored by the resurrected Christ. And here now in this letter, he is writing probably to Gentile uh, Christians that are scattered abroad, dispersed, it says in verse one. And these towns that it mentions, these cities are referring to pretty much the area of northern Turkey, modern day Turkey today. And what is he doing except acting in obedience to what Jesus asked him to do? When you're restored, when you've come back, feed my sheep, restore and strengthen the brothers and sisters in the faith. And he is feeding them through the hope and the promises of God, through the hope that is found in God's word. Now, we live in a world that is looking for hope. I don't know if you've noticed, you can bury your head all you want in the sand, perhaps uh, you've looked at Christianity and you've just thought, not for me, what a load of rubbish, and I'm only here because, because of the Watsons or the Miles today, but for me, I'm not interested. But you cannot deny that what is going on in this world all around us is a picture of hopelessness, brokenness of people putting their hope in people and putting their hope in ideologies and systems and governments and all types of different types of faith. And what we are seeing is they are being let down again and again and again, because we live in a broken, fragmented society. We live in a world that is looking for hope. You don't need some guy from Essex up here telling you that, right? After the last three years, a pretty pants free years, You don't need the brains of an archbishop to work that one out. We are living in a hopeless society. And the narrative just seems to get worse. I mean, I know it's Sunday morning. I don't want to be up here and depress you all. It's about celebrating, isn't it, today? But the narrative just gets worse. So, for example, now look what they're saying. Uh, After the lockdowns, they're saying, actually, the impact shows uh, that excess death is higher than it was during COVID, with diabetes and Parkinson's and cancer all significantly up. So that's quite depressing, isn't it? And then when we look around and see the hope that is put in leaders and governments and authorities, it just seems to be that confidence and hope in these earthly figures is at an all-time low, with lies and exploitation and failure. And now we've got people prancing around on TV doing bush-tucker trials. I mean, what, what, what do you make of it all? Hopelessness. What do you do when every system or those that you trust keep on letting you down, hope is essential to the human spirit. Hebrews 6:19 says it's like this: hope in Jesus is like an anchor for the soul. soul. And so, imagine when the waves come and the ship is rocking around. The Bible says that by putting your hope and your confidence in Jesus is like being anchored, and you're not going anywhere because your hope is in jesus we all need hope and peter well he is writing to people who likewise are in a pretty hopeless situation themselves they were scattered they're about to enter the most intense period of persecution that the early church had ever known Uh, History tells us that Christians were blamed for the destruction of the temple by a very wicked emperor called Emperor Nero. You can find this in the history books. And he sought to lay the blame squarely on these early Christians, the Christian church, for the destruction of Jerusalem. And so we see that some of the tactics that Emperor Nero used, he was extremely wicked. He would gather up these Christians, he would feed them to wild animals, and their bodies would be uh, used as human torches. He would use the Christians as a public spectacle against anyone that would dare challenge the Roman Emperor, emperor. And Peter, the less than perfect but restored man by Jesus, is now writing to these people to offer them hope. And if they can find hope in the midst of their distress and that horrid time that they were going through, surely we too can find hope in the chaotic, broken society that we live in today so how does peter do that well he offers hope for us in four ways through this letter you're here perhaps just for one but you're very welcome to come back for all of them if you are here for all of them you will know or you will see that they are uh, that they are offered hope is offered in four different ways so in chapters one and two hope is offered through salvation God's people can know hope because of their salvation in Christ. The second thing is that they can know hope in submission. Submission to God and submission to the authorities and submission to one another in chapters 2, 13 to 3, 7. The third is that they can find hope even in suffering. We all suffer, Christians included, we all suffer and you can find the hope found in that in the second half of chapter three going into chapter four. And then finally, we can find hope in following faithful leaders, proper shepherding, biblical shepherding, looking to Christ as the ultimate shepherd, not the world and every, all of the, the worldly leaders, but finding hope in Jesus. And that's what our series is going to cover. So picking up on the first, how do we find hope in salvation? That's what we're looking at today, by being born again. What does it mean? So picking up verse 3, if you'd like to follow with me. The first we see in forming that foundation of hope is that we can find it in our salvation. What does that mean? It means we can find hope in knowing that we belong to God. We've just dedicated children this morning and our prayer is that these children will grow up and know God there is hope in knowing that you belong to God or to be more accurate verse three it says all praise to God the father of our Lord Jesus Christ it's by his great mercy that we have been born again there's that phrase because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead and now this translation says we live with great expectation we have hope because of what Christ has done for us and in order for us to understand the latter part of the series submitting suffering and following leaders Uh, What Peter is going to do, what all the apostles do, especially people like Paul, and so this letter has striking similarities with another letter such as Ephesians, is that for us to understand how to get through life, how to find hope in suffering, how to find hope following other people, we need to first understand what our identity is in Jesus. That's what we need to understand first, and so that's a regular theme that the apostles do. They start off with saying, Know who you are in Christ. Know that you're saved. Know who he is and know what he has done. So Peter, like James told us in our last series, verse 7, says this. He says, in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come, these trials, this suffering, so that the proven genuineness of your faith Of greater worth than gold which perishes even though refined by fire may result in praise glory and honor when jesus is revealed so what is this saying we go through this suffering we can find hope in it and it's a little bit like uh, as was the case in ancient times maybe it's still the practice today certainly was in biblical times (laughs) refiners in trying to bring out the dross and the imperfections of gold what they would do is they would put it under extreme heat and it would reveal the infirmities and everything that was wrong, all the imperfections in the gold would rise to the surface so that they could be refined and come through it as pure gold. And that's what Peter is saying that when we suffer and we go through persecution, it's like that process that God is allowing us to go through it so that we come out the other side better. Stronger, with greater character, and more importantly, come out praising and thanking God for what He has done and who He is. The bit where He says, "In this you greatly rejoiced," you see, it is where we find hope. That's where we find hope. So we've looked at the outcome. This is where we find hope. Two causes for hope. We we can summarise for our salvation. Two causes for hope. That's looking at one. Who Jesus is, and two, what he has done. So, in this short time together, we're going to look at these two things, which is helping us to understand salvation. Who Jesus is, and what he has done. So, who is he? Verse three. Verse three, do you see it? It's very subtle, but it's there. It says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, who is Jesus? He is God's Son. Now, a lot of people have argued over the years over this claim. Uh, A recent uh, study, uh, if you want to know more, speak to Chris, our evangelist, one of our leaders here that he he produced for us, shows that, I think it was in 2015, in the UK, 20% believe that he is Jesus' God in human form. 33% believe he was a good man or a prophet. 25% believe he was just a human. And 18% believe, well, just don't know But listen to what the Bible says. The Bible that has changed more lives than any other faith or book or person that has ever lived. The Bible says or points to the fact that on numerous occasions, Jesus indicated that he is God's son. If you'd like to know more about that, I would recommend reading the Gospel of John as a starting point. The Bible also indicates and shows us that Jesus' opponents believed that Jesus was claiming to be God's son. That's why they killed him. They didn't kill him because he was a very naughty boy. They killed him because he claimed to be God's son. Or he was certainly indicating that and implying it. The Bible also shows us that many people believed that Jesus was God. And when they said it, Jesus didn't correct them once when they said that about him. The Bible also shows us that Jesus really was God's son by what he did, his miracles and his acts. And all of these things, these acts and authority over power and sickness and death proved his divinity, his claim of divinity. The Bible also shows us that these first Christians were willing to lose their lives in horrific ways because they believed he was God's son. Would you... Give up your life for the most atrocious way of dying. Literally, if you look at the history uh, of, the, of the apostles, they were beheaded, they were clubbed to death, they were speared to death, dragged to death, burned at the stake, upside down on a cross. Would you go out that way for something that was a lie? I would suggest not. And then look at modern day, look since the early church, all the way throughout the, the generations. All the way throughout the centuries, what we see is people have found Jesus and believed he was the son of God. And he has gone on to change not just poor people that are desperate and looking for a crutch to hang on to. But kings and queens and emperors and the best artists and the best composers in the whole of the world, what you see is you take a sweeping bird's eye view throughout history is that Jesus is real. And Jesus has changed lives throughout the years up until this present day where many people will sit here and say, yes, Jesus has changed my life as well. Jesus really is the son of God. And as Jesus said to Peter in the gospel accounts, Yes, Peter, I know what the world says about me, but put that to one side. Who do you say that I am? And that's a question for us to consider today. Not asking you what the world thinks or even your family. It's a very personal question. Who do you say that Jesus is? The Bible tells us, testimonies tell us that he is the son of God. So... Um, The second thing uh, that Peter wants us to see is not only who Jesus is, i.e. that he is the son of God. He wants to tell us in verse 3 to 5, verses 3 to 5, what he has done. Do you see it? What he has done. So for those who, who believe he is who he said he is, Peter says God gives them new birth, which is to say that they have been made born again. So it's a biblical phrase. It's not something made up by whack jobs of tambourines, okay, yeah, and rainbow sweaters. Okay, this is, and, and, and socks and sandals and all the rest of it, yeah, this is a biblical phrase. Being born again is in the Bible. Now, what does it mean to be born again? Well, the old term used, which I think is more helpful, is regeneration. It means to be regenerated. I personally think that in some ways is more helpful because it brings up the idea that something is faulty or it's broken or dead and it needs bringing back to life yeah it needs to be it needs to start again it needs to be brought back to life again it needs to be regenerated now it's not talking about being religious it's not talking about being a good person although these things aren't inherently bad so this particular uh, challenge here it's not being about being religious or it's not about being a good person the other most notable time you'll find in the bible where this phrase comes up you must be born again is used in john three where if you want to you can turn with me we won't spend long there john chapter three t- introduces us to this man called nicodemus And it says, there was this Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. So he's come at night. He doesn't want to be seen. He's this very well popular, respected man. So he's sneaking out during the dark to speak to Jesus because he's heard about him. And he says, we know you are a teacher who has come from God. No one could do these signs you are doing if God weren't with him jesus replied very truly i tell you no one can see the kingdom of god heaven no one can see heaven no one can get to heaven no one unless they are born unless they are born again siri doesn't understand i do you can't get to heaven unless you've been born again and nicodemus is thinking this through he says well how can you be born again you know i'm an old man how can i be born again How can you be born into a mother's womb all over again? And Jesus says, he says, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of the water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. Nicodemus goes on a bit further down to say, but how can this be? And Jesus says, aren't you supposed to be Israel's teacher? The top Pharisee, you're supposed to teach people about this, yeah? And you don't know, you don't understand. You don't understand. You see, being religious, even going to church, or all of these things, doing good things, being a good person, doesn't make you born again. I grew up believing this for a long time. I grew up just believing because I went to church, because I had Christian parents, because I was born in a Christian nation. I was a Christian because I had the Christian CDs and went to the Christian youth camps. I was a Christian. But actually, you know what? I wasn't born again. My heart was far from God. And maybe that resonates with some of your history. Do you know what it means to be born again? Not talking about being religious. So being born again isn't about that. It's not just about being a good person it's about a genuine regeneration of the soul that has taken place. Something new and wonderful has happened. So for the benefit of anyone here today who's not a churchgoer or doesn't understand much about the Bible, as well as it being uh, an encouragement to those of you uh, that aren't new and you have been coming since World War I or whatever, the Bible tells us that we are okay, all spiritually dead. We're spiritually dead. And because we've been born this way, we've been born under a curse, the Bible says, okay? And it's not only that we've been born into a curse and we've just adopted it as part of our DNA. The Bible also tells us that we choose to sin like we are under this curse. It says we all sin. And that doesn't matter whether you're the king or you're the pope or you're Matt Hancock or whether you're this preacher standing up here today. The Bible says that we have all sinned and fallen short of what god requires of us and that's what sin means to fall short we've fallen short of what god has called us to be whether that's lies or stolen you know it doesn't have to be robbing the bank doesn't have to be the great train robbery it Could be i don't know an argos pen or an, or an ikea pencil or something or being paid for work and knocked off early and not told anyone we've all made the mistakes in our lives whether that's sexual sin or whether that's lying, or whether that's dishonouring your parents, but perhaps the big thing is, maybe we haven't fully acknowledged God as creator, and instead we have chosen to live lives the way we want to live, and we've in defiance said, no God, I will not have you as Lord of my life, and we've made ourselves the Lord of our lives. And so the Bible says that condition makes us spiritually dead. And that's the reason why the Bible says we are without hope. Because instead of turning to him, we have looked for hope in money, sex, or power, or even charitable acts. Just anything other than God. Take for Christmas, for example, yeah? I mean, they've been cracking out the, the, the uh, decorations for that, even probably since September. Isn't it getting crazy? Is anyone else noticing? They're out all the time. You can bet when Christmas is done on the 26th, they'll start bringing out Easter decorations, right? And what is Christmas about? It's just some horrid commercial machine now, isn't it? Where it's all about money and presents and food and having a knees up to your favourite Cliff Richard number ones at Christmas, yeah? And we've done everything other than make it about the gift that God has given us, that is Jesus, that he came in our darkness to become the gift of light to us. And we have rejected that light And the history books tell us that we've killed that light. I mean, how would you feel if you gave someone a wonderful gift and they took it, they never said thank you, and they broke it and just carried on like it never happened? That's what we've done to God. But here, what God has done is rather than destroy the world, he sent his son Jesus into the world That he might take our sin upon the cross, that he might take our sin and our defiance against God and bear our punishment upon himself on that cross. And the reason why is so that we might, by believing in him, be forgiven, be restored and be born again. Washed clean, given a new start. Do you say preacher? If God really knew what I was like, even what I thought and said and done this week or even this morning on the way to the church, he, he, would, never, he would never give that opportunity to me. He, he would, just wouldn't be interested. And to which I would say, do not believe it. This man standing before you now, me, this man standing before you now lived a wicked life, trapped a prisoner to all sorts of sexual sins and drugs and drinking and anger, that was me, trapped in those prisons. I was someone that was without hope. I was someone that looked at himself in the mirror and hated him so much he used to cut himself because he hated himself. I was someone that hated my family and just threw it all away so much I ended up homeless, turned into drink and drugs. And let me tell you now this morning that no one, no matter how bad you might think you are here today, is outside the reach of God and of his gospel and his offer to make you born again and give you a clean, fresh start here today. Uh, One of my favourite illustrations growing up was from a famous preacher and he said, explaining how God sees it all and yet still forgives us. It's like this young boy who was out and he was playing a game where he would line up the bottles on the wall in the garden and he would get the stones from afar and he would throw them to try and knock off these bottles on the wall. And he missed all of them. And he only had one less. And he thought, well, here's one more. And he took a run up and he threw it. And it went right between the bottles, missed the bottles, bypassed the bottles, and hit his grandmother's favourite goose, her pet goose. I don't know who has a pet goose, but this grandmother did. And it hit her favourite pet goose in the head and killed it. And he looked around and thought, oh, my goodness, what am I going to do? So what does he do? He did not eat the goose. There are no kids present. So what he did was he went and took the goose and he made sure no one was looking and he dug a big hole and he buried the goose and pretended like nothing had ever happened, yeah? And thought, I'll get away with this, it's no problem. And so later that day when they were sitting around the dinner table, they were all eating their lovely food and then it came to the end and as was the custom in this house, they would take turns at washing up. And this time it was his sister, the, the, the murder of the goose, it was his sister's turn to up, to wash up. And he got up to leave the table to go and play on his PlayStation or whatever. And the sister said, where are you going? I think you're gonna do the washing up. And he goes, get real sister. He says, it's your time, get stuffed, you can do it. And she turned around and says, oh, no, 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 no. I think you will be doing the washing up. And he says, no, look, listen, you don't understand how it works, sis. Okay, you is doing the washing up. And she goes, no, I'm not, because I saw what you did. I was looking out the window and I saw you threw that stone, killed grandmother's favourite goose, buried it in the garden and acted like nothing ever happened. So you'll be doing the washing up. And what did he do? He did the washing up. <laughs> Why did he do the washing up? Because of the guilt and the condemnation that he felt every single day. She made him wallow in it. Oh, Sorry, not wallow, she made him pay in it. And he was just feeling so bad carrying this guilt and this condemnation. Doing the washing up. And then one day he got to the point where he just thought, enough is enough, I'm just going to go and tell my grandmother. I'm so fed up of carrying this guilt, I'm just going to go tell her. So he goes up, goes to her bedroom door in her annex, like good, um, like good grandchildren would do for their grandparents, she knocks on the door, and she opens it. He says, look, Grandma, I've got to tell you something. And she goes, OK, come in. And he says, look, I've just got to tell you, I, I was out playing, uh, I was playing my favourite game, I threw some stones. I miss. I killed your favorite goose. I know you've been wondering where it is, okay? And it was me. I killed it, and I buried it in the garden. And I was so, I I felt so bad, I just didn't want to tell you. And she said, well, why didn't you tell me? And he said, well, because I felt so bad, so guilty. And she goes, do you know what? I've got a confession to tell you as well. She said, every single day I like to sit by my window and watch you out of my window. I like to watch you play because you're my children, my grandchildren. I love you and I love to see everything that you're doing. And I saw exactly what you did. I saw what you did to my goose and I saw the way you buried it. And I saw the way that every single uh, day you let your sister make you feel bad and carry that guilt and carry that shame and carry that condemnation. And I was just thinking, why don't you just come and tell me? Because I love you. It's just the goose. I love the goose, but I love you more. Why don't you just come and tell me and not allow your sister to put that guilt and that shame on you? Because I would have forgiven you and it would have been okay. And that, brothers and sisters, is a little bit like what it's like with Jesus. We have someone out there called the devil and Satan who makes us feel so bad and makes us feel like we're never good enough for uh, for God and everything we've done, even on this very day, is not good enough for us to be brought before God. But the Bible tells us That's not true, that you can come to him. You can come before his grace, admit where you're at, and he will forgive us if we're sincere of heart. And if we let him, he can make us born again. Born again. Jesus said, except you, you come as a child, like we saw today, except you come as a child, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. So, heaven heaven the bible says is full of people that have both been chosen by god but have also chosen to love and follow jesus on earth that's what heaven is think about it if if you don't want jesus now on earth if you don't want him now if you're not living for him now on earth why do you think he's going to let you into heaven when you when you die and it's all about him and what makes you think you want him if you don't trust and obey him verse 2 to be regenerated means you've been born again or as a new man, a new woman, the slate is clean, and you're freed now to live for Jesus. And that's my testimony of what he did for me. To be regenerated means to be born again and to have new affections and to live for Jesus. And those people, says Peter, who have been born again have an inheritance, verse 4, kept for them in heaven another way of of wording it is reserved for you so if you sit in here and you've made that decision to follow jesus he is the son of god and you've been born again the bible says that your place in heaven has been reserved for you i don't know how many of you and don't worry we're coming down to to finish soon i don't know how many of you travel by plane or by train i get the train every now and again and there's nothing w- much worse than when you're traveling down to london okay because i'm not from around these parts and you get on And it's packed, yeah? Any of you had that experience? And because you have no reservation, you have nowhere to sit, other than outside that stinky toilet that opens and closes whenever it feels like it and wafts whatever has been deposited there before into your face. There's nothing much worse than showing up on a train and realising you do not have a reservation. Not having a reservation can stink, but you know what's beautiful about knowing who Jesus is and knowing what he has done for you is is knowing no matter how bad and how stinky this life gets we know we have a reservation for us waiting for us in heaven does anyone know that today? we hang on to that hope of our salvation that there is a reservation for us in heaven and dear friends I cannot think of anything better than that Knowing, come what may, whatever this world, this broken world throws at us, because I have trusted in Jesus and I have made him my saviour, even though I haven't seen him, I love him and I believe him, and I too can say with the Apostle Peter, praise be to God. Our father, the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, in his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There is an inheritance waiting for God's people. There is a reservation waiting for you in heaven, kept for you. The word used here is similar to the word garrison or guarded. It's being kept, it's being guarded, it's being protected for you in heaven. What a wonderful thing to know. Salvation, being born again. But conversely, dear friends, I really can't think of anything worse than when your time comes to an end here on earth. Do not take it for granted. I don't want to be fatalistic, but none of us know when our day is up here on earth. We do not know. It could be taken like that, and the day will come when you will stand before God. And I can't think of anything worse than going before him and for the response to be to you that you have no place here. There is no reservation for you here. Because you never trusted me down there. And so being sent away into utter darkness and loneliness, which the Bible calls hell. The place this is most clearly played out for me is at funerals, actually. And I've conducted many. In London, I did funerals as a side job. Yeah, interesting bloke, you're thinking. And sometimes no one would show up for these funerals. It was so sad. It was so hopeless. And sometimes hundreds would show up. But the person wasn't a Christian and people would be or he wasn't born again. And these people uh, would just be uh, uh, weeping and, and there's just no hope in that. What, what, what do you hope for? But again, on the other hand, I've been to many Christian Uh, funerals or as we call them celebrations or thanksgiving of life and uh, you hear the message that actually this person believed who god uh, jesus was the son of god believed in what he did and therefore we know and even though we're sad at losing this loved one we know that they are now in heaven celebrating with the one that they love down here on earth with jesus because they have been made born again They know because they're hanging on to the truth of his Bible where Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. Nothing this world can offer you. Nothing else. They're hanging on to Jesus who said, I am the door. Anyone who enters through me will be saved. And so as we close our message today, I want to ask you, do you, along with the apostle Peter, know this hope? Do you know this hope that is found in salvation, in believing that Jesus is the Son of God and believing in what he has done for you? Or do we walk away in defiance and say, no, not interested? The Bible says today is the day. Choose today. You don't know what tomorrow brings. Choose today. What must you do to be saved? You must believe in in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, who he is and what he has done to save you. You must repent, confess I've got it wrong, been living for myself and others, and I need to live for you, Jesus. And you must choose to follow him. Repent and believe. Will you do that today if you haven't? do you like to be born again? Would you like to have a fresh start? No condemnation, born again, made part of Jesus' treasured family, his possession, and have your place res- in heaven reserved for you? Let's pray. As we uh, close our eyes and bow our heads and we think about praying and responding in some way, I wonder if there is anyone in here today uh, that hasn't done that, hasn't repented and believed in Jesus. Or perhaps like me, you've gone well off course and you need to come back to him as your Lord and Saviour. I going to ask if that's anyone here today and you want to do that, would you just uh, show me by raising your hand and I'm going to come and uh, pray with you. I am not going to make a big deal out of it. But if, if you know you need to give your life and your heart to Christ here this morning, do you indicate that by raising your hand and I'm going to pray for you in private. So anyone today that needs to be born again. Praise God. Let's, let's pray. Father, God, we thank you that you said we can come to you and call you Father. We thank you that that's been made possible because of Jesus. And Lord, in this world of hopelessness and brokenness, we hear the Bible's call to trust that you are our true hope, And that true hope is found in salvation and being born again, knowing who you are and what you have done. And so, Lord, would you please reaffirm these truths to us today, for those of us that know this truth. But for those of us that don't, or we know we need to get back to you. I pray, Lord, that we would know your word that says you are faithful and you are just. And if we confess our sins, you will forgive us and welcome us back. So, Lord, I pray for anyone here today that is in that place, that they would recognize that true hope is found in you. It is a free gift for those that come with a penitent heart, trusting in you. So, Lord, remind us of these great truths today. Help us to know and be certain as we leave from here that we have that reservation secured in jesus because it is him that we trust and we love and we want to follow and we say it in his name amen okay. you have been listening to the podcast from emmanuel community church to find out more about us go to emmanuelcc.co.uk